What's up, everyone? Welcome to my living room. I'm Colin Egglesfield. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Colin. It is Monday night, and I want to say just cheers to everyone out there. Here's to everyone who's getting ready for the holidays. Uh, grab a cup of coffee, grab a cocktail, whatever you need to feel relaxed. You're in my living room. Just pretend you're here. Just pretend we're all just hanging out, and uh, we're going to have an amazing conversation, and I'm excited about my guest tonight because, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I became an actor was because I love to tell stories, and I love to, what I love about acting is that it taught me how to, to authentically just share with the world who I am, and growing up, you know, I think we all struggle with really trying to figure out how we can fit into this world. And I think when we do try to share with the world who we really are, sometimes we get laughed at and ridiculed and it gets to a point sometimes where we just get afraid to share with the world who we really are. And my guest tonight is, uh, is someone who is just unabashedly proud and just authentic about who she is and what she stands for. And uh, that's why I'm excited to uh, to have her on the show tonight. We're going to have an incredible conversation. Um, she was the former senior sect and dating writer at Elite Daily and the former executive editor of Go Magazine. She has a book called Girl, Stop Passing Out in Your Makeup. And I'm excited to be uh, talking to her about that and how she came up with that title. And uh, she also studied at the New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts. So we have that in common. And what I really admire about her is that she has been working with teens and, uh, and kids um, with regards to how, to how to basically come out to the world. Um, she and I share something in common. We both like women. So I'm excited to be talking to her about the ins and outs of what make women tick. And we're going to be talking about some dating insights and how to date during this pandemic. And, uh, and I just, I just am really looking forward to, uh, to getting to know her because based on what I've, I've read about her, uh, she's someone who is, uh, is just, a badass babe. So without further ado, please, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Miss Zara Berry. Welcome to Coffee with Colin, Zara. Hi. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be here. Loved the introduction. We both definitely like the ladies. So I'm glad you <laughs> yeah. have that in <laughs> Yes. Well, you look absolutely fabulous. You look Thank sexy you. as hell, I just have to say. Likewise, if I was straight, I would totally have such a crush on you. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. Thanks for taking the time out on your Monday. And I know a lot of people, I uh, did a Facebook Live before this, and I've got a lot of really good questions. Um, so people are excited to uh, to just hear some insight on, you know, just, man, is it's been a crazy year, right? And how do we navigate all this? It's been such a crazy year. Like, I can't, it's been such a wild year, but I don't know about you. It's been for me, such a year of like hard lessons. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, because all the things that, I don't know, things I rely on, you know, like a, a bustling workspace in New York City and all these outside things were suddenly stripped away. And then mm -hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, I have to deal, I have to deal with 
everything. Like, I, it's like I thought I'd done all the work, and then the pandemic happened, and like floods of of new issues I realized I had to really face and confront came to the surface. So it's been such a harrowing year, but I think a year of great growth and growth is always uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways this year has been like ripping the bandaid off and right. just fixing the things that we've maybe have been putting off for a while. But then, you know, let's say you uh, you're in a relationship and you're now like living together on top of each other. I think in the past where you, you know, you're kind of, we're doing your separate thing and going your different ways. Now people are having to confront some of the things that they were maybe ignoring in the past. So I'm, I mean, I'm sure you're experiencing this too, but a lot of my, you know, my friends who are, who are married or who have been living together, um, they've been struggle either struggling to connect um, and they break up or it's been amazing because it's, it's really allowed them the opportunity to get closer and to get to know each other better. Right. And I think at the end, at the end of the day, um, what I like to talk about and what I like to, uh, promote is personal growth. And I think this year has been, and you know, uh, whether you like it or not, uh, we've all had to kind of contend with a lot of things that we've just kind of ignored um, but again, I think in a lot of ways is when we come out of this, I think tremendous, there's tremendous growth opportunities through all of this. And, uh, I can't wait to, to hear what you have to say about all that. Yes. Lots to say about all of that. <laughs> completely agree, especially with the bandaid metaphor. Cause I, I think about that and I use that in my writing a lot. It's like, we really ripped the bandaid off and like, we're letting the wound heal and uh, letting it breathe, but the wound is ugly and it's scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're learning to like, you know, let it heal and also learn how to see it as not so ugly and scary. Like I always feel like in this time right now, I feel like I've looked so many demons in the eye and sometimes it's the thought of looking them in the eye that's scarier than the actual looking in the eye. So it's like ripping, yeah. them off, staring into the wound and then you're like, maybe the wound isn't that hideous or grotesque like maybe it's kind of beautiful i don't know it's been it's been a wild ride yeah no i, I think you make a, a really good point i think the uh the, the fear of the idea of it definitely yes. or the uncertainty of something is always more scary you know I, I write about in my book how when actors go out or before they go out on stage the nerves the stage fright is palpable because you're just, you're not sure what's on the other side of that curtain, but right. inevitably as soon as that curtain opens up and you walk out there and you start to connect and look at the, see the people and you can start to feel their energy. As soon as you present where you're at, right. The nerves calm down. And then you start to realize that, you know what, actually this isn't so bad. And actually this is pretty cool. Like right. that's what I love about it. It's kind of, scary and exciting all at the same time. Right, I agree. I, I have a, a background in theater and acting and uh, that's what I did before I fell, kind of fell into writing oddly. And I still host like literary salons and every single time, even though it's been thousands of times, I think, why, why am I doing this to myself? I hate this, I don't wanna do it. Then you get on stage and then you realize like you trust yourself. Like you have that moment where it's like fight or flight and then you just sort of ground and you trust yep. yourself and it's yeah. so powerful and you feel present and connected 
And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I feel alive. And it's also showing me I can do this. I had it in yeah. me. I have these tools inside of me, you know? So it's yep. so interesting. I love how you said you, you trust. And right. I think, uh, you know, growing up, I struggled with trusting myself. Uh, I just, for whatever reason, I just, I grew up thinking that I had to, I had to obey and, and listen to my, you know, I just, you know, normal kid trying to like be a good boy and listen, right. listen to my parents and my teachers and just trying to do the right thing. So in a way I, I would put aside what I knew inside was maybe what was best for me to make sure I was pleasing everyone else. And in the process, I kind of felt like I just, I didn't really, I kind of lost who, I didn't really know who I was. And right. what was great about acting, and this is what I, I, I share, is that as soon as I got on, on that stage in that acting class, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, you want me to actually share who I am? You want me to tell like, what I'm feeling and what is important to me? And it was so refreshing to be able to finally um, be in a place where I could authentically connect with people and share with, you know, with an audience or a community of people who I really was. And it was the first time that I really started to be seen for me on the inside. Right. Was that right. similar for you at, when you started acting? Like, oh. did you always want to be an actress? Yes. Always. I still love it. I mean, I still do it. You know, I still do theater a lot. And uh, I used to run a teen outreach theater. I love directing actually now. Mm. Um, so, so much. Um, and that's why I love, I do these literary salons with Samsung 837. And uh, I have writers who are also actors read aloud their stories. And I love that because it's mixing both of my passions. But I believe that, I think that like, Sometimes people say to me, you know, do you feel like you wasted your degree since you're a writer now and you're not an actor? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I take what I learned in acting school. Like that has set me up entirely for my entire life. It has laid yeah. the foundation. And acting, I mean, I was in acting class from such a young age, begged my parents. And that was totally where I found myself, learned to trust myself, learned empathy, learned how to think outside the box started to question things because when you put yourself in someone else's shoes, like you do in acting too, it opens your world up and you, and you, you know, you start to think like outside, what if like life is different outside of just this small town and the things that I'm fed by my parents and my teachers, like there's this whole world out there and it, mm -hmm. it just rewires your brain. And I, 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 I use that degree every day of my life, you know? Definitely. And I think yeah. it's, it's not dissimilar from writing. I think writing and the best writing for me is when I'm present, trusting myself. It does have a performance element to it. Like I like the writing mm -hmm. feel like cinematic or theatrical and I want the audience to feel like they're in the theater. And uh, and I get a lot of notes on my writing. Like I, I really feel like I'm. it's intimate and like I'm with you. And I think that that, comes from other writers that I've coached or worked with. I, I like, you gotta be vulnerable. You know, you have to trust yourself and don't push. And these are, and I'm, I'm like, how do I know this? But this is all stuff I learned in acting school. Be vulnerable, yeah. push, trust it, you have it, take the mask off, you know, breathe, ground. So it's so interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like from an early age, you were able to take that mask off and 
just be who you authentically are? Or did you feel like you kind of had to hide it in any way growing up? Yes. I mean, it's so funny. Sometimes I still, I, I, I go through phases in life where I'm like, and I catch myself and I'm like, you're hiding. You're like acting like you did when you were 16 years old in the closet, miserable, hating yourself, trying on different personalities. Um, and I think that that's normal. I think that mental health isn't linear. You know, I think people act like I'm healed now, but no, I think you take step backwards all the time. And then those setbacks lead to giant steps forward. But yeah, to answer your question, I, I really, I think I really struggled with identity and, uh, starting in my teen years. And I think it happens to a lot of girls. Um, I read about this in my book. I have a chapter called An Ode to the Girls Who Grew Up Too Fast. And uh, I definitely grew up really fast. When I was 13, I grew up 17. And when you're a girl like that, when you're like 12, 13, you're still a kid. But yeah. you don't look like a kid. And men treat you differently. And all of a sudden, you're getting invited to older parties. And you're in these situations that you're not ready to deal with. Um, drugs boys, alcohol, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think it sort of rips the essence of who you are out of you because you're given this, as soon as you become sexualized as a girl, you're given this message that in order, like that your entire worth is swept up in your sexuality and, and, and being attractive to men. And hot girls don't roll around in the mud. Hot girls don't talk too loud. Hot girls don't have big opinions. You know, they sit in the basement with their son or boyfriend. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, 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 it, and it waters you down. And I, I see it with so many girls that like, you're this 11, 12 year old with stars in their eyes, curious about science and the world and wants to become president or a writer. And then all of a sudden that's not hot. And you get to like 12 or 13 and you start watering all these things that are so beautiful about you down. And it's really, really sad. And uh, I definitely went through that. I definitely, definitely, you know, lost my sort of innocence very young. And uh, and, and, it, and it was an identity crisis. I, I lost myself because I thought I had to be these things because society, the culture was like, this is what you have to do mm -hmm. as a girl, you know, and this is it. Yeah the early 2000s before feminism or these kind of conversations that we have now, they weren't being had then. It was right. such a magazine. It was like seven ways to look hot for the next time. <laughs> <laughs> or like books to read or, you know, yeah. it was just like, you are your looks and that's it. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And so at what age did you start to feel and notice that you liked girls and was that, was that tricky for you? Was that difficult for you to navigate? Yes. Um, <laughs> all of the above. Uh, it, I started to realize I liked girls probably around like 11. I think when, when adolescence started to kick in, like I said, I was very like early developer, I was very mature. I'm the youngest of like five kids. So I had older siblings around me. I saw the dating thing. I observed it and something just didn't click with the boys. Um, but I didn't think, I didn't think it was an, it was going to be an option for me. I just, I didn't know, you know, there weren't really any lesbians in, in the media at that time. There wasn't much visibility. And I, 
I thought there was just, there's no way. I thought, you know, lesbians have to look a certain way. I don't look like that. A lot of lesbians that I'd seen depicted in the, in the culture were more masculine. And a lot of lesbians are like that. And that's great, but I'm not one of them. I'm like the girliest girl you have ever met in your life, you know? I mean, I'm wearing sequins mm -hmm. with red lipstick and this is like my everyday look. So I think <laughs> that juxtaposition was confusing. So I would date boys and um, I always be really mean to them because I think when you're pushing yourself to like something that you don't like, you can act in, in, in ways that are just so nasty to other people because you resent them and you don't know why. And then yeah. you get angry with yourself. So it was very confusing. And then there was this, people are like, is there a specific moment where you became comfortable? And there is for me. And I was in Boston with my sister and I saw these two lesbians at this restaurant, this really trendy restaurant. And they were so gorgeous and they were so, they were so accepted. Like they weren't like looked at like freaks, you know, we're in a city. I grew up in Westport, Connecticut, which is very conservative. And we were in this more like liberal area. And as I walked by, I was 16. One of the girls looked at me and goes, you're cute. Like she saw me, she must've felt something. It wasn't in a pervy way. It was like, I like your outfit, yeah. cute. And I was like, oh my God. Like I felt so seen and so excited. And from that moment on, I was like, it's going to be okay. It, I might have to hide this for get through high school. And, mm -hmm. uh, but my nature is very open. So I did tell everyone in high school that I was bisexual. Cause I felt like that was softer than being like, I'm a full lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it wasn't very well received. <laughs> um, what about your family and your parents? Was that difficult to share that with them? Yeah, it was. I think it's I think it's awkward always to to come out. It's just awkward. Like because it's sexuality, it's sexual. So it's like yeah. it's like all of us, it's just weird. It's unnatural to have to like out come out. I, it, I would love a world where that wasn't the case and you could just be yourself, yeah. date people and figure it out. But there's all this pressure on coming out. And I think for my mother, it was it was tough and for five minutes, she quickly accepted it because I think our parents, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this with your parents, you know, they, they see you as little versions of themselves, you know? And my mom was like, well, well who are you if you are gay? I, you're supposed to be like me because I'm very much like her. I look like her. I talk would like her. But, uh, would you say you guys had, are you pretty close as a family? Yeah, we're very close. Yeah. Okay. We and we're very like imperfect. Every like we've all had our our shit that we've dealt with, and uh, we're messy. We're open. I can definitely talk to them. But even with all that, it was still yeah very scary and confusing. And I had to eventually tell her because she thought I was on drugs because <laughs> I, I was never home because I was always with my girlfriends and I was being sneaky and she could tell I was hiding something because she knows me, she just didn't couldn't imagine that it would be that I was a lesbian. So finally she sat me down and she's like, you're on drugs. And I was like, <laughs> not on drugs, that's the good news. The bad news, <laughs> or I don't know if it's the bad news, is that I'm gay. <laughs> uh, did you think that your anyone in your family had an idea that you were gay before you came out? and Or did anyone else bring it up before you thought it was okay to talk about it? It's funny. I, I told my brother that exact night in Boston, I told him. 
and uh, he's four years older than me. And I just remember him being like, it's okay. We were, we were drinking. I mean, I was 16, but we were definitely drinking. And I was like, I, I think I might be like gay or bi. And he was like, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. So he's, <laughs> he's like, if anything, it ups my hip, hip factor, I remember he said. Oh, yeah, I'm a lesbian sister. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was so stupid. Uh, but uh, you guys ever like the same woman? Yes. 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 One time, but it, <laughs> she was toxic for both of us. <laughs> um, I would say we generally don't have the same type, though, at this point in time. But you know, I think it's like girls who always want to have a, a gay brother. Like my brother gets the to have like a lesbian sister who we can go meet girls with and things like that. I mean, we're we're very very close, but um. I don't know how my parents didn't know because I recently went and looked in my teenage girl bedroom and there was like all like lesbian fiction books, lesbian romance stories. But I think if you don't want to see something, <laughs> but I'm like, mom, yeah. it's called Faster Pussycats. And it's like, like lesbian like romance novel that's like highly sexual, like cover, like 90s lesbians. How did you not know? She's like, I, I don't know. And then I have all these books that I wrote or um, sketchbooks filled with like fiction short stories about lesbian love. And my mom snooped my, she always read my diary. So she must have really been in denial really? <laughs> to not okay. see that. Yeah. So yeah. we laugh about it now. Yeah. And so like, as someone who is an you know an advocate for for kids and just people in general who are dealing with coming out and and uh, just trying to share with the world who they really are, uh, what do you what do you see with people who are struggling with that? And you know, what do you tell them? What what kind of encouragement do you share with them? You know, it's it's interesting. One thing that I always do now that I didn't do before is I let them know that they don't have to come out right now. Like even if they sometimes they want to, I, I just think, especially with teenagers, people who are, are living under their parents' roof, I don't want them to come out and then get kicked out and be homeless. So I always make sure they're in a safe environment. Okay. Because that's the reality. I wish that wasn't the reality. I wish every teenager or young person could be like, I'm out, I'm proud. But the reality is there's homeless shelters in New York just for LGBTQ teens who've been kicked out of the house. Right. And they're packed. And I, I know people who have lived there. And uh, it's it's rough. And I don't want that. So I'm like, come out to yourself. That's the most important thing, that you have an honest relationship with yourself. You can tell the world when you're safe, when it's ready, when your college has been paid for. Because I know kids whose parents didn't pay for their school, like an acting school, actually, that happened to a friend of mine. He came out and his, he was doing so well and his dad just stopped paying for tuition wow. and get a scholarship. And it was just such a, it was such a, it was so rough for him. And he's like, you know, I wish I had just waited till after college. Cause I know who I am. I was comfortable, but like mm -hmm. I could stand on my own two feet. So I always make sure it's, it's, it's a safe environment. Um, and I just try to, show anyone who's trying to who's trying to come out or trying to make peace with their sexuality that they have a family like they really do like the gay family the queer family we are we are there for each other i and that actually it's the best thing in the world to be gay you, i think we get told it's going to be a hard life it's going to be this it's going to be that and 
often that that can be true, especially politically, but really I can go anywhere in the world and just go to the gay bar and people are going to be nice to me. People are going to mm -hmm. ask questions anywhere I've moved. I just go to the local gay bar. People are like, Oh, you moved here. Like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I have a contact there. It's like this community everywhere you go. And it's amazing. I mm -hmm. love it. Like, yeah. it's, you know, so it's like being part of a family. Yeah. Yeah. I loved when I was living in New York city, um, my manager who was gay, there was a place he liked to go to called Bardo. And it was a, a lesbian drag queen bar in the East village or West village. And you know, you, whenever you'd go in there, uh, I mean, it was just like, it was just, everyone was always totally welcoming. There was such a, like a fun festive atmosphere in there. And then, I mean, oh. these men dressed up as well. I mean, they were gorgeous and, and oh, yeah. funny. And uh, you know, what I struggled with growing up with was the whole macho culture of being a guy. Um, I just didn't necessarily identify with the, Hey man, like, yeah, tough guy, you know, yeah, whatever. And I was just like, why do I have to act like I'm this macho tough, you know, guy that just like, you know, can, you know, and, and if, if you get in my face, I'm going to, you know, get in a fight with you. Like, I just didn't necessarily identify with that male kind of energy. So I, so I kind of just felt a little marginalized by not necessarily feeling like that I was into that macho masculinity. Kind of thing. So where I found my, um, my place was like in my art class. And um, I mean, I did like to play sports cause I was, I was good at it. But in a way, I kind of felt like I just didn't really necessarily find my place until, again, it was in that acting class where, you know, we're encouraged to really authentically share, you know, what we're up to and what uh, what we care about. And as men, I think in today's society, um, I think we're getting better at it with like sharing our feelings and that sort of thing. But what I want to talk to you about, too, is in maybe some of your dating advice that you give. Um, Cause nowadays with uh, you know, like women are, you know, CEOs and they are, you know, running companies and they're being entrepreneurs. And I think sometimes men find it uh, men and women find it, you know, what that dynamic is like in the workplace. Right. And uh, you know, what I, what I tend to, to like to talk about and what I've read quite a bit about is, you know, each and every one of us has male and female energy. Absolutely. And I think if we skew one way or the other too far in either direction, if you're a male, you know, if you're too much in your feminine energy and you're sitting on the couch eating Doritos and, you know, really not doing much, I can understand why your girlfriend or your wife would be like, dude, like be a, a man, you know, like go do something. I, you I know? see a lot of that with my girlfriend yeah. with guys with that issue. <laughs> yeah. And then, Conversely, you know, I, I've dated women who, um, who I, I mean, my mom, business owner, um, entrepreneur, she has a degree in psychology, like very strong, um, you know, uh, woman who just would make stuff happen, you know, not afraid to, to share, you know, her feelings about things. She's from Ireland and just, you know, very open and, and, and that sort of thing. My sister, I mean, awesome. Just like businesswoman knows how to get stuff done. Um, but I've dated women in the past where, 
you know, so I'm attracted to that type of, you know, right, right. I like to get, you know, like I like a woman who has that type of energy, but um, I guess where I've, I've run into to problems where the male energy is almost skewed a little too much where I'm right. like, I, I don't even know why you need me. Cause you're doing this. You're, you're telling me where, where to turn left and right. And you're telling me how to drive the car. You're like, you've handled this. You're doing that. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I, you don't need me cause you're doing it all. So I think there's that balance. Um, do you, yeah. Have the same issue. Like right now I'm struggling with my wife because I think she's very tapped into her, her masculine energy and, can be bossy or like, you know, not let me do things or, or at all with the best intentions. But she, you know, right now she has a high pressure job, all this stuff. And, and then there's times where I'm that way. And it's always like constantly finding that, that balance of knowing balance. To, yeah. to be vulnerable and, and surrender and, and nurturing. And then also when to be like, you know, dominant. And I think to have a healthy relationship, gay, straight, bi, pans, whatever you are, you gotta, you gotta be tapped into both, you know, mm -hmm. you got to be tapped into both. Um, and it, it, it's definitely difficult. And I think it's, I think it's really hard for women, uh, regardless of their orientation, who are sort of bosses because they have to be extra that way to get where they are professionally, even though times have changed, mm -hmm. women are still not as taken seriously in the workplace, you know? Um, I can't tell you the amount of times, you know, working in, in male dominated companies, I feel like I've had to fight so hard to be taken seriously or even pretend my idea was a male coworker's idea in order to, to get it made. And you, you end up being guarded, you know, you end up being guarded and it's hard to go home and just shut that off, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that that's why there are a lot of women right now who, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, to shut it off when you've had to fight so hard professionally and be tapped into your masculine energy professionally so much. How do you then go home and sort of drop that and then like, you know, be a, be a woman sometimes. And yeah. So if I were to ask you like in a utopian dream society, what would the workplace look like working with men that maybe if, if you were to share what you wish, how you wish men were to behave in the workplace where you felt like they respected you uh, for your ideas and for your leadership and didn't necessarily, you know, uh, objectify you for being as beautiful as you are. Thank you. <laughs> I don't, I think that the issue is, not even always so much about men objectifying. I mean, that's definitely something that has happened to me and almost every girl I know. Um, but I think it's also this idea. Here it is. Okay. It's this idea that feminine energy is somehow weaker and somehow not as intelligent mm. and not as bright. And masculinity seems to be taken more seriously all the time. And that's even in, I've seen guys in, in work places, gay men that I know that are very feminine also deal with this sort of be like, have their ideas left off or treated like they're ditzy or flighty. And they're not, they're not at all. They're just not super masculine bros. You know, and I yeah. worked for a very bro company at one point in my life. And uh, I think that the utopian 
my utopian world would be where feminine energy is taken just as seriously as masculine energy because people are always saying women are irrational. And I never understand that because actually if we look biologically, guys are more irrational because they're made of all this adrenaline so they can yeah. forest and so they the tiger and bring it home to the yeah. woman who has to take care of this household, which takes a very rational brain, you know? So biologically, that's why men get in bar fights, you know, over yeah. stupid things. And girls really don't do that. So it's so interesting that that's even a thing that, that women are considered so irrational and emotional. Um, so yeah, it would be that, that, that feminine energy was seen as powerful and not dismissed and that women didn't feel like they had to completely change themselves and emulate this sort of toxic masculinity in order to get ahead and be mm -hmm. somewhere they're not and repress their feminine sides, you know? Have you ever had to confront a male in the workplace and just have that kind of a conversation where you felt like you kind of had to maybe set them straight a little bit? Yes, I definitely have. And what I found, I, I kind of became scary, I think, to guys. I also do think that uh, when men I worked with would find out I was a lesbian, they would actually treat me with more respect. And the girl that, at a workplace confronted me about it once. They were like, you don't get it, Zara. They don't treat you like they treat us. And it's like wow. they had this, as soon as they knew they, that there was no chance, you know, of, of anything, and they knew that mm. I really swept up in male's opinion of beauty or approval, and that yeah. I was far more concerned with getting that from women. Uh, I mean, I just remember at work drinks my first night, or my first night, my first day, and being like, are you like totally gay? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> no one messed with me. And, and, and that, that in of itself is like, that's the problem, you know? <laughs> um, that you have to either be completely because they, they view that as masculine. They view me like yeah. masculine. So, all so of a sudden, what did you say to this guy? What did you to like set him straight? Um, you know, I, I wish I could redo it because I probably didn't set him straight enough. It was my first day and I was in my twenties. Yeah. I, I just said, no, like, dude, no, like I'm, I'm actually not bisexual. Shouldn't matter if I am or not, but like, I'm fully gay and I'm not interested kind of thing. <laughs> and then there was like a group of guys behind him, like, she's not bi. <laughs> and he's like, no. <laughs> They're like, oh. oh now they cool with me, like in a whole different way, you know? Yeah. And now that you're in your 30s, do you feel like you've ever felt the need to have that kind of a conversation with a man in the workplace? And Or if not, wh what yes. advice would you give to someone who felt like they needed to just basically let someone know, you know, that the way that they're being treated is not okay. I mean, I find that it happens to me a lot. Like if I'm doing podcasts or sometimes in situations like this with, uh, with, with men and they think that it's like, you're going to be super, cute and sweet but they can talk all over you and they know more and then they start explaining to you about what your book is about when it's like what is happening here and i have to say at this point in my life and i'm not confident in every aspect of my life but at this point in my life i really have developed the muscle of just setting them straight and calling them out <laughs> and being honest like mm -hmm. i wrote the book oh do you want to tell me about the girl experience <laughs> Because it was so fun when you were uh, tell me all about growing up as a teenage girl 
growing boobs when you're 11 and having men that are 18 invite you to parties because clearly you've been through that. I, I tend to get like kind of sarcastic and, and um, maybe that's not the, the right way to do it. And all and, and navigating all of it is exhausting and I wish I didn't have to. And then even with, you know, agents, uh, managers, that kind of stuff, you know, a lot of times I hear, I get sort of mansplained what my audience wants by like men that are in their 50s who haven't talked to a girl in their 20s or 30s or 40s, you know, haven't really talked to a, a, a woman that would be in my demographic in like 20 years and they don't, you know, read the content or the comments or really understand what their plight or struggle is. And that's very difficult, but you have to keep it together in those situations because, you know, for me, I am professionally ambitious. So you have to have a, you have to be polite, but you can, it's just exhausting. Like I wish it would, it wasn't the case, but I do think uh, men are becoming a little more aware of it. So I'm seeing it less and less, especially with the guys, you know? Yeah. I think some of the old suits still, you know, are stuck in that, you know, but. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely think, uh, you know, the, the, with the advent of, you know, the internet, I think the world is getting smaller. Right. There's no, there's no longer, you know, uh, these small little pockets where people aren't aware of what's going on in the world. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing in the sense of uh, acceptance and tolerance um, and for people who are still stuck in their ways, uh, you know, I just, um, I, I think people are on their own path. And what I try to say is, you know, just surround yourself with the people who support you, who right. are, your, who are your champions? You're, I mean, I, it doesn't matter who you are. There's right. people who are just not going to like you and not going to support you. So I don't waste, yeah, I don't waste my time trying to convince people to like me, to work with me. Life's too short. I'm just going to like, there are so many people out there in the world that are your people. And it's just a matter of you getting out there, you sharing with the world who you are. Um, And, you know, just like you said, it 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 takes a little practice. It takes developing that muscle. But once you start just, you know, going to the gym, so to speak, the first few times it's uncomfortable and you're sore, but after a while, you just feel stronger and stronger to the point where you're like, you know what? I like who I am and I'm comfortable with who I am. And it's okay if not everyone accepts me or likes me and that's okay. And I think you're hitting on something that is so, so, so at the root of all of it is that you don't have to like, and I think I'm, I'm in that place kind of now where it's like, I kind of don't care if you think I'm an idiot. Yeah. Because yeah. of red lipstick, you're not my people. If, right. if you're the kind of person who judges a woman because she wears red lipstick, then I like we have nothing in common. That's right. Not. <laughs> you have your people, I have my people. Yeah. You know? So you're you're so right. Like not everybody has to like you or get you. And I think I spent so much time in my twenties convincing people and fighting to be yeah. seen and understood. And I almost think that that energy. It's it, just it, wasted. It was so wasted. It could yeah. actually put into like finding my creative people and yeah. nurturing those relationships and putting my energy into my audience who I love, who gives me so much and I get so much from them. 
And yeah, I, you're right. It's wasted energy. And is there anything more sad than wasted energy? You yeah. Know? yeah. Well, it's great to see. There's a lot of really positive, amazing comments here. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of uh, comments such as some women are encouraging their their kids to uh, basically uh, the number one thing my friend Kara wrote was that she encourages her kids just not to be assholes. Right. Well, I mean, that's really so what it comes true. down to, you know. Um, it's actually so easy not to, it's so easy not to be an asshole. You know what I mean? And it's yeah, so, so you have to go out of your way to be an asshole. You know, right. it's like. Right, yeah. right. But um, yeah, man, I, like fierce, strong, feminine energy. Oof, it's sexy. I love it. I love it. Um, so yeah, you keep being you, you keep doing you. I mean, you, uh, you're, you're accomplishing and you're doing a lot of amazing things. Um, can I ask, how did you come up with the name of your book? Girl stop passing out in your makeup. Oh, okay. That's a good question. So, um, actually it's inspired by the book girl, wash your face, which was, a, I don't know. Are you familiar? By Rachel Hollis. Rachel Hollis. Yeah. yeah. My agent handed it over to me and uh, I, I thought it was a book about like skincare and I, I'm not, I mean, I like skincare, but I'm not a girl who's going to read a book about it. Yeah. I, uh, I was on a plane to LA and I, I pulled it out of my bag and I realized, okay, this has nothing to do with skincare. This, when she says, girl, wash your face, she means like, get your life together, like own your shit, wash your face and like walk out in the world, you know? And I really liked that metaphor and I really liked the book and um, how how her her advice to her audience was just, it was real like woman to woman. It wasn't pers prescriptive, she was vulnerable, she shared her own experiences. And I thought to myself, you know, I wish there was a book like that for, for, for girls that I know, you know, because as powerful and as much as I loved her book, you know, I, our demographics are quite different. Mm -hmm. And um, what about, I kept thinking like, what about the girls who not only need to, to wash their face, but need to like confront the lifetime of makeup they've been uh, sleeping in their whole lives and really look under the surface. Like it, it's, it, it, the book has nothing to do with makeup, but the, it's a metaphor for, for stop putting the filter over what's real. Like stop putting the bandage over the trauma, the truth, and the bandaid can be- Take the mask off. Drugs, right. Because so many, I think so many party girls are so creative. And I would say that's a huge number of my demographic or, or, or party girls. And they are so full of creativity and passion and fire and all this stuff. But when you don't have an outlet and that creativity is never nurtured in you, yeah. it's very, it's very, um, it makes a lot of sense why you'd be drawn to the sort of glitter of the party. And the glitter of the party is great, but it can also be very toxic. And there's a lot of energy vampires and addiction and running from traumas that happen in, in yeah. that setting. So yeah. like, let's, let's look at it. Like, let's stop sleeping in our makeup and like, look at what's going on underneath the surface of our skin. Cause if you keep sleeping in your makeup, eventually your face is going to be, you know, covered in, in acne. And I mean that as a metaphor mm -hmm. and when you allow our skin to heal and breathe for once. You know, and then dare to look at the scars and pores and see them as beautiful without a filter. I feel like that's when life really begins. And that's really when you come into your potential. Yeah. And I want to really deal with issues that I see 
not being spoken about, but all the girls I know, all the city girls, the party girls, the girls who grew up too fast, the creative girls go through like, you know, things like with sexual trauma and partying and um, just trying to find your, trying to figure out what your thing is and what this fire inside of you is that, you know, you snuffed out and yeah, so that's my very, very long-winded answer. I'm sorry. I get very- No, it's okay. And I, this is because it leads into my first question from my audience. So thank you, everyone, who uh, tuned in earlier on Facebook. And uh, our first question from our audience is uh, along those same lines. And this one is from Sybil, and she's asking, how do you not lose your essence in regards to maintaining your sparkle and trust in others when a relationship doesn't work out, when you've been hurt, when right. you've been, yeah. trust has been broken? That's a really, really great question. And I will absolutely validate that it is very hard. I think that's the hard thing about, you know, breakup is, it can be very traumatic and relationships, a bad toxic relationship can be extremely traumatic and it can be easy to now, think that everybody is like that. And I think that you really have to take the time before you go into something else mm -hmm. to get your sparkle back. Because the sparkle is never, the sparkle is in you. It's not mm -hmm. something a, a, a dude or a girl or anyone can, can snatch from you. And I realized that my sparkle was constantly sort of being watered down or taken from me because I hadn't really developed it inside of myself. Yeah. And also when you haven't developed it and you're not really owning your sparkle, protecting your sparkle, you're going to also attract energy vampires. They feed off of that sparkle yep. and they want to hoard it for themselves. So I think taking the time to develop true confidence, find out what makes you tick, uh, doing creative projects, things that have nothing to do with the validation of another person. Like I said, breakup is the perfect time. Like take an acting class, take an improv class. Because even though you're so hurt right now, you mm -hmm. also are an incredible place where you've been like opened up and you're feeling all these feelings. So channel it into something. Yeah, I went skydiving after a bad breakup. I, I went skydiving. I was like, fuck it. If I die, then I'm out of my misery. Right. It's like the worst thing is that happened already has. So like get that asymmetrical bob haircut that your ex probably didn't want you to have. Yeah. Do it. And then by doing all these things that you just truly want to do, you get your sparkle back. And then you develop such a strong sparkle, no one can ever take it away from you. Yeah, I, I think you hit it right on the head. And I think uh, a lot of the times we look for validation in other people. Absolutely. And you just said it perfectly where it's all about cultivating that sparkle within ourselves. Right. Where we feel good regardless of of who's out there. And until you feel good about yourself and until you've, you've really done the work to be able to know who you are. Um, I think the more awareness that you can, uh, bring to your own life, that's in my personal experience, that's where my confidence has come from, right. uh, from just, you know, going to, you know, seminars where I just learn about myself, reading books like men are from Mars, women are from Venus right. and just, trying to understand the dynamic between men and women, because, you know, we, we have to take a driver's license to drive a car. We have to, you know, there's so many things we have to train to do, but 
you could just meet someone, get in a relationship and like, how do you figure this one out? Like we're so different and you know, you put in kids and family and all that stuff, you know, without real clear, open, genuine, authentic communication where there's a respect factor in there as well. Um, I think relationships are doomed from the beginning because we get so attracted to each other in the beginning and we're like, oh, she's so hot or he's so cool. And I think I was talking about this earlier where we meet someone and we fall in love with the idea of them. Oh, yeah. And then when they don't live up to that expectation, that's where the disappointment comes from. So we're, we start to get mad at the person for not being what we thought they were. And then they're like, yo, dude, I'm me. Like, get to know me and then see if this works. So let's just kind of slow down and see where this goes. We don't have to make decisions right now about like- Absolutely. I mean, we project fantasies. I project fantasies. I've been someone's fantasy. I mean, I've been many people's fantasy projection and then I'm a real human and it's like, ooh, gotta run away. Um, I think we all do that so much. And I think taking time in the beginning is so important because you're kind of intoxicated. I mean, you are intoxicated. Yeah. And I think it's important to know that in particular, just chemically, like our bodies release oxytocin when we're intimate and that's like a feel good hormone. They also release it when they breastfeed a child. So they want to nurture and take care of their child. So sometimes this feeling of nurture that you have towards someone after you've been intimate with them isn't because they're a good, great person. You have this magic bond that you can't live without, you know, it's just, it's just your body producing a a hormone Mm -hmm. chemical. You know, and I, I yeah. say to my friends, I'm like, is that is that the oxytocin talking or is or or right. really love them because yeah. you know, so I think yeah, taking time because in the beginning you're not really you're not like you're not sober, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you're you're all jazzed up off these chemicals and you don't know what's real and what's not. So take it slow. Lesbians are notoriously the worst about this. They call it U-hauling. I don't know, are you familiar with that term? U-hauling? U-hauling. What is that? So there's a joke. Uh, what does a lesbian bring to a second date? A U-Haul. Because they move in after the second date. Okay. And it's so true. I wish I could say it was a rumor. It's like the most true thing in the world because you have two women with the oxytocin. So they're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, we're in love. But like, it's like, my friend gets in a relationship. I'm like, I'm not going to see you for six months. Okay, I'll see you in six months, you know? Um, and then they kind of come down off of that. And then they're like, Oh my God, what did I do? I moved in with this person. I signed a lease in New York. I can't break the lease. I'm stuck. I'm stuck with this person. I didn't even know them. And we're, we're notorious for jumping into things because we don't have the male energy, you know, to be like a little less, you know, men yeah. don't produce that oxytocin. Like Yeah. You just want to nest and cuddle and yeah, yeah. hang out. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, it can be very explosive and passionate too, between two women that it can just, yeah. I've done it. I've done it. I've U-hauled quite a few times. Well, next question is from Heather, and she wants to know, when you've been alone for a significant period of time, how do you let someone in and how do you not emasculate him when you're used to doing everything on your own? I see this happening a lot with my New York friends because I think New York is, is a town where people are just very single and very set in their ways and they and they, people struggle with this. Um, 
I think it's hard. I think you have to be willing to make compromises. And uh, I think that when you surrender a little bit and let the guy sort of take the wheel in certain areas, not in every area, but in certain areas, you might find that you enjoy it because it's exhausting holding onto the wheel all the time and you probably don't even realize it. You oh. probably don't realize that you're tired of just being in control of everything. And it's a muscle, like you were saying earlier, like uh, confidence and all this stuff, it's a muscle. And so is like compromising and letting go and being vulnerable and trying new things. So I think um, it's a muscle that you have to work out, but you might find that you really like it. Great answer. I like it. And uh, so this woman, uh, she holds a, a special place in my heart. Uh, she's because I'm a cancer survivor. And this woman, her name is Zulima. And uh, she has had a, a bilateral mastectomy. She's married. And her question is that she doesn't feel whole anymore now that physically a part of her femininity has been taken away from her. Right. And it's hard for her to, uh, she just doesn't, she says she doesn't feel whole. And what I shared with her as someone who has had, I had testicular cancer and it was difficult for me to talk about this for the longest time because I mean, that's guy stuff, you know, and right. as an actor on soap operas, you know, the, I'm supposed to be masculine and this, and I just didn't want people to think that I didn't have that anymore. And it took me a long time to be able to talk about it and be comfortable to talk about it. But what I really started to realize was, you know what? I'm not a man because of physically who, like what I have. And I mean, who I am as a man is how I, how I behave, how I, you know, how I go about my life. And, you know, I try to, to, aspire to be, you know, a gentleman and what it means to be a man that takes care of my family and is, is generous and passionate when I need to be passionate. Um, and what I've, you know, I was, I was afraid that after the second surgery, um, that like, I'm kind of deformed now and, and I'm telling you, and I, what I shared with Zulima earlier was that when you find the right person, they love you no matter what. It doesn't matter what is going on here. They fall in love with your energy and with your essence of who you are. Um, but just if you wouldn't mind kind of sharing some insight on on maybe what Zulima is, is going through right now. Right. Well, thank you for sharing your, your story. Um, I think that that's so powerful. And you're so right. I, I would say that you are more like that is not what makes you a woman, you know, what makes you a woman is your soul and your spirit and like divine, like everything that you have and everything that you are and nothing, no surgery, no sickness can take that from you. But I can only, I, I imagine that that's so, so hard, but just holding also, I mean, I'm a big believer in, in like giving yourself time and permission to feel and grieve. Um, I think we live in this, in this Instagram kind of culture where People only talk about, you know, like after they've healed, they're like, yeah, I'm healed now. And, and I'm, I'm more and I'm, and, and all those things are true. Like you are so much more than that. It's also okay to be like, I am, this is really hard and I'm still grieving and I'm not there yet. And 
just giving yourself permission and not spiraling for not being there yet. Cause I trust, just trust that you will get there. You know, you don't have to be there today, you know, feel cry. Like that is feeling is healing. You know, I really yeah. think that it is, but yeah. send all my love and good energy and prayers to her for sure. Yeah. I, I think that's really good advice. Cause a lot of the times we try to squash the feelings down right. and they just get buried to the point where you have this restlessness. And, and that's again, why I really relished in going to acting class. Cause everything that was going on in my week, right. I would just get up on stage and just be like, blah. And it was just cathartic to be able to just get all of that angst and emotion and, and, and stuff out. So Right. I always say feelings are like guardian angels. Like they're they're gonna guide you to the place that you're meant to be, but you have to honor them. And they hurt sometimes, but they also feel like feeling your feelings, I say is that it's the ultimate cleanse, you know? So I think, yeah, give yourself permission to feel too. You don't yeah. have to be there yet. Yeah. And uh last question is do you have any advice for dating now with all these like, you know, with the dating apps and you know, especially with the pandemic where we can't really get out and socialize, you know, what, do you have any advice on dating in the pandemic? Hell yes. I say get online, get on the apps. This is probably actually a really healthy time to date because you can't, you almost, you can't dive in too quickly. You kind of have to pace yourself. We're not allowed out at these bars. We can't be going out every night, getting drunk. There's probably going to be at least in New York, you know, another big shutdown. Indoor dining was just, you know, so take time to get to know people on the internet. And I know that mm. sounds strange, but there is something beautiful about developing because you can you have time to develop an actual connection where it's not just about like the physical, you yeah. know. So like, take your time, do Zoom dates, and uh, get on those apps and have fun. It's not that serious. I think that's the other thing. Dating is not that serious. If you go on four dates and they're terrible, think of the funny stories you can tell your friends. <laughs> you know, it's it's not, you, you always learn, you always come out of it learning something about yourself or learning about what you want more of and what you don't want more of. So just like go out there and experiment. It is not meant to be serious. This is supposed to be the most fun part of our lives, not the hardest. We, everything else is hard. Dating should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being here, Zara. And that's, um, that's my last line. Because when you get rejected by someone who's dating you, it is the universe preventing you from being with someone who could be potentially very toxic. That's what I always say. Yeah, no, that's good <laughs> advice. Um, and last question, what inspires you, Zara? What keeps you going? Um, what inspires me is you know, I did, this is going to sound very obscure, but I dedicated my book to girls who live on Long Island and listen to Lana Del Rey. That sounds very like, you know, micro, but it's actually quite macro. So what inspires me are, you know, young people who come from very small towns, but have these big worlds inside of their heads and all of this fire burning inside of them. And I want to help them learn how to channel that fire into like art and creativity and making the world better. Because I admire, you know, growing up also in a, in a, in a small, conservative, very preppy town, I was the girl, you know, listening to Lana Del Rey in my bedroom, 
being like, get me out of this place with this whole life inside of me, this inner world. And, uh, and I, I just, I, I love, I love meeting those people and I love, you know, helping them fuel, fuel the fire into something magical. That's awesome. And that's what I love about artists, musicians, and actors, because, you know, it's, uh, I feel it's, it's such an honorable profession to be able to be the conduit for, right. you know, like you were in your bedroom listening to Lana Del Rey. And yeah. it's like, I'm sure she would feel, you know, she'd be like, man, that's why I do what I do. Right. Just to be able to, to uh, create that connection. And you are doing that exact same thing, Zara. And I just want to say, you are you are amazing. And uh, keep you? keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, you're doing great stuff. You are truly a uh, a beacon of light out there. And I would encourage anyone who's out there who's feeling alone, who's struggling with any sort of mental, uh, you know, mental issues with regards to where you're at, and not feeling like you fit in to just reach out. There's no shame in reaching out to friends, family, um, and, uh, and just let people know that, that you need, you need them. Cause you know what, when you do that, eventually one day you're going to be able to do the same thing for someone else. Absolutely. And my hands right? are always open. So I answer every single one. So Awesome. You need a moment of encouragement. I'm your girl. <laughs> awesome. Well, Zara, thank you so much. We'd love to have you back because I'm sure I think we've had more comments tonight than any other show. Oh, so, awesome. uh, yeah. So thanks again for being here and have an amazing holiday. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. Man, God, I just love having these amazing conversations and just want to say thank you again for being here. Thanks for being a part of this community. Uh, this is our last episode for 2020, and uh, let's make 2021 like 400 million times better. I think we've learned a lot this year, but I think we're, let's let's take what we've learned and use it and transform it into something amazing. Uh, and so, I would encourage you to, to you know to reach out to uh, again to anyone out there in your life who you feel is um, is that support network. Uh, and you know, we're, we're creating our, our network here with, uh, my inspire community. I'm doing my next inspire life mastery course starting December 27th. So if you want information on that, this is an amazing six weeks of you getting rubber on the road with regards to you getting in touch with yourself and identifying the things in your life that are, you know, maybe perhaps keeping you stuck and preventing you from getting back out there into life and playing full out. I love to support people in pursuing their dreams and, uh, and anyone out there who's looking to, to make amazing things happen. There is, there's people out there and I love to see people succeed. So if you're looking for some motivation, some inspiration and an amazing community of people to help you along the way, feel free to reach out. You can shoot me an email at info at colinegglesfield.com. You can visit my website, colinegglesfield.com. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. And uh, please spread the word because I just, um, I, you know, I love having you guys here and I appreciate all your support. So have an amazing holiday and we will see you in the new year. God bless. Much love.